Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we, we start. Dear Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege and the uh, <clears throat> opportunity that we have to be gathered together to study your word, and we ask for the <clears throat> light of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to give us understanding of your word. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So today we are going to start a new chapter in the Confession of Faith. We are um, doing or going through a, a study on systematic theology, you know, the teachings of the Bible in an organized way, topic by topic, and we are using the Confession of Faith, the uh, 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith as our guide. So we have arrived to chapter 20. We concluded chapter 19 two weeks ago. Chapter 19 was about the law of God. This chapter 20 is about the gospel, the gospel and the uh, extent of grace thereof. And uh, there's something interesting about this chapter in the confession is that our confession, the Baptist confession, is based on the Westminster confession. But if you go to the Westminster confession, there, is, there isn't any chapter dedicated to the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> so it's something different uh, in the uh, Baptist confession that was actually... Uh, comes from the Savoy Declaration, which was the uh, confession of faith uh, of the uh, Congregationalist groups in England in the uh, 17th, 17th century. They wrote this, this chapter about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, <clears throat> um, the reason for that, uh, a little bit of a historical context to give us uh, better understanding what this chapter is about was the uh, uh, a philosophy that came out in the 17th century and is called deism. It's not the same than theism. Theism, uh, T H E I S M, that means simply means to believe in God. But this this other philosophy, deism. D-E-I-S-M uh, uh, It's a philosophy that came out in the uh, 17th century. It was very popular in the 17th and the 18th century. <clears throat> and uh, it was an intellectual movement, actually, that claimed or that accepted the existence of God as creator, uh, but simply on the basis of reason. Reason, not on the basis of revelation, but on the basis of the intellect, on the basis of reason. And they rejected the belief in a supernatural deity that reacts with mankind. <clears throat> so God is there, but God doesn't have any interactions with people. And it's kind of a, like a natural religion. And one of the characteristics of this movement, <coughs> excuse me, is that rejects uh, the revelation as a source of divine knowledge and, and states that empirical reason and observation of the natural world, that's all we need to 
uh, obtain the knowledge of how to be saved. So basically, you don't need revelation from God. You don't need the Bible. You don't need uh, prophets. You don't need God speaking to you. All you need is to observe, to look at the world and analyze it with your mind. And then you will be able to discover how to be saved and you can be saved that way. So this chapter actually is an answer to that. Um, <clears throat> and more particularly, maybe uh, an answer to a, a little booklet or a treatise that appeared in the 17th century in um, England by Herbert Cherbury, uh, who is known as the father of English deism. And um, it is uh, called the religion of the Gentiles. The religion of the Gentiles. And um, <clears throat> so this chapter is an answer to that movement. Um, and of course, we have uh, the confession. The very first paragraph in the very first chapter. It says there very clearly that the works of creation and the light of nature are not enough to give the knowledge of salvation. All they do is to give you the knowledge that there is a God, because how can there be a creation without a creator? Mm -hmm. <coughs> Back then, that was very obvious. <laughs> Today, it doesn't seem to be that obvious. But um, all it does is that leaves men inexcusable. Nobody has an excuse. Nobody can say, well, you know, I wasn't sure whether there was a God or not. No, 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 you cannot say that, because... The works of creation, the light of nature, your reason, reason should tell you that a God created everything and that there is a deity. <clears throat> but that light of nature does not give you the knowledge necessary for salvation. Therefore, they say in the first chapter, it pleased God to reveal himself and to declare his will to the church. And then to put it in writing. <clears throat> but this uh, chapter now that we are going to see is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ more specifically because we need not only a general revelation of the will of God, but we need a revelation of the gospel to be saved. Amen. We need that. So the question uh, this morning is, uh, does nature reveal a means of salvation to men or a way of salvation to men. And the short answer to that is, since man cannot be saved by the light of nature, God has revealed to all men since the beginning the only way of salvation. That's the answer, and that's what we are going to see. We are going to see uh, paragraphs 1 and 2 this morning. Again, um, <clears throat> this is an answer to the uh, philosophy of deism or deism that states that the Bible is not necessary for man to obtain the knowledge of salvation. And the idea uh, behind this movement, this philosophy, is that it's inconceivable to think that the Gentiles, people who are not Jews, people who uh, did not grow up with the Bible, uh, that they do not have a true theology and they cannot be saved. They say, no, 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 they can be saved if they make an effort to live according to the, their conscience, according to the natural revelation of their hearts. If they have a good conscience, if they practice good 
works. They can be saved without a special revelation, without the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this movement was an attack on the exclusivity of the gospel. And one of the arguments used by them was, well, people were saved before Jesus Christ. Before Jesus Christ was born, people were saved. And if people were saved before Jesus Christ, this means that they were saved without Jesus Christ. Therefore, people can be saved without Jesus Christ. That was their argument. So this is the answer from the confession of faith to that philosophy. Paragraph number one in chapter 20. The covenant of works being broken by sin and made unprofitable unto life, God was pleased to give forth the promise of Christ, the seed of the woman, as the means of calling the elect and begetting in them faith and repentance in this promise, the gospel as to the substance of it was revealed and, and is during effectual for the conversion and salvation of sinners. That's what they say. That's what, how they, they stated it. Now, notice how the authors of the confession go all the way back to the beginning. They don't go to the, you know, to the first century AD. They go back to the beginning like saying, yes, it is true that Jesus Christ came, you know, 2,000 years ago. And before uh, his coming, there were, you know, people were saved, yes. But before that, people were saved, but they were not saved without Jesus because God gave, since the entrance of sin of the world, God gave the promise of Jesus. And they were saved through that promise. So that's what they say. say notice that they go to the beginning, the covenant of works being broken by sin. Who broke the covenant of works? Adam. Adam broke it and made unprofitable unto life. They cannot be saved anymore by means of the covenant of works. Well, God was pleased to give forth the promise of Christ. So they did not have Christ. They had the promise of Christ. The promise of a Redeemer. So people were saved by Jesus before the coming of Jesus. How? Because he was revealed before his incarnation. And that revelation, that promise of Jesus could save them. And actually did save the Old Testament saints. That's what they're saying. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible teaches. This promise of Jesus, the seed of the woman is found where? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that's what the theologians call the Proto-Evangelium, right? The Proto-Evangelium, you know, uh, we have in English the word prototype. What is a prototype? Well, a prototype is, a, is a, a product that is going to be put in the market. Before they put the final product, they put, the, put out the prototype like, uh, like, to test the concept or to test the idea, to see if it's going to work. And then if they see that it's going to work, then they, they finish, you know, all the details and all that. So the proto-evangelium, the proto-gospel means the fullness of the gospel is not really there. But the essence of the gospel, the substance of the gospel is there in that uh, passage in Genesis 3. 15 that says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your seed and her seed, it shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was God uh, speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. <clears throat> so when was this promise revealed? Well, not at the moment of creation, because at that time, men did not need a savior, but at the entrance of sin in the world. They say, when the covenant of works was broken and made unprofitable unto life, then God made that promise of a redeemer. God made that promise of a savior. Because God's plan since the beginning was to give eternal life to men. Give eternal life to, um, to Adam. Adam did not have eternal life. He had to obtain eternal life. How? By keeping the terms of the covenant of works. By his obedience. By his works. By his effort. By doing... Uh, uh, keeping the law that was written in his heart and obeying that particular commandment that God gave him not to eat of the tree of the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so the covenant of works promised eternal life but once this covenant was transgressed once it was broken by sin it was then rendered unprofitable unto life that's what the uh, authors of the confession are saying here. The covenant of works being broken by sin was made unprofitable unto life, no longer able to save. It could save, it could give eternal life to Adam, not anymore. Nobody can be saved by the law. Nobody can be saved by the works of the law. That is very clear in the scriptures. It pleased God then to give the promise of a savior to men so this is the only means then that god appointed to call the elect the promise of christ at the fall they say god was pleased to give forth the promise of christ the seed of the woman as a means of calling the elect as a means of calling the elect and then in the fullness of time, in the incarnation, in the fulfillment of that promise, then Jesus Christ came as a fulfillment of what God had announced to Adam and to later in other parts of the, uh, the scriptures. Progressively, God uh, announced, continued to announce the coming of the Messiah, every time giving more details about the the messiah so other parts of the scriptures reveal to us uh the, the revelation of jesus and but not also the revelation of jesus but the cross of jesus his suffering and his sacrifice that's that's not something that uh the revelation of jesus is not something that we know from his crucifixion but actually it we are told in the, in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to be a suffering Messiah and that the Messiah was going to give his life. And we read then in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8, 
and all that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. <clears throat> um, in the book of life of the of the uh, lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world and he calls jesus then the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world what does that mean jesus was not crucified at the beginning of the world so why does revelation say the lamb that was slain since the foundation of the world well hebrews the uh, letter to the hebrews says that <coughs> jesus came at the end of the world that doesn't mean necessarily the word world mean i don't think it has to be translated world maybe the end of the age you know at the fullness of time that's when jesus came not in the beginning not at the foundation of the world but many years later thousands of years later jesus came <clears throat> so why does the book of Revelation say that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world? It means that he was slain by anticipation. We can say that he was slain by anticipation. We have the, all these revelations of the sufferings of Christ in the scriptures. We have Isaiah and we have many others. In Genesis uh, 22, we see that God told Abraham what? To sacrifice his son, Isaac, right? That was... An anticipation also, an announcement, a prediction that the Messiah, that God was going to give his son and that his, he was going to give his son as a sacrifice for sin. <clears throat> so we see that there the announcement of the suffering of Christ and his sacrifice announced by God through this type. So that's the reason why in Revelation, Jesus is called that this, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world because he was revealed as the, as the one who was going to be slain <clears throat> for the salvation of the elect, for the salvation of sinners. And he was revealed like that since the foundation of the world. Since this, the very moment when God said, I will put enmity between you and the seed of the woman, he said what? He said, the seed of the woman shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's going to be, <clears throat> he's going to suffer in the process. He is going to, uh, uh, he's going to give his life. And that's the reason why in Revelation we see that he's called the uh, lambs lame from the foundation of the world. Because it was revealed that he was going to be slain since the foundation of the world. So in this uh, promise of the uh, Messiah, we have the substance of the gospel is there. We don't have the full revelation of the gospel, but we have the substance of the gospel there. In that substance of the gospel, in that substance of the gospel, there is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. In this promise we find that we find in Genesis, there is power to save. It is effectual to save. And that's what the, uh, this, the authors of the, these, uh, the confession are telling us in this first paragraph. I'm going to read it again. God was pleased to give forth the promise of Christ the seed of the woman as the means of calling the elect and begetting in them faith and repentance in this promise the gospel as to the substance of it 
See, not, not the full revelation of the gospel, but the substance, the very essence of the gospel is there. Was revealed and then is effectual for the conversion and salvation of sinners. That single promise in that uh, uh, single verse is effectual for the conversion and salvation of sinners. And, you know, it makes us think, well, is it really true that in that single paragraph in that single verse uh, Adam and Eve had enough revelation to become Christians and to be saved well it is important to understand um, to answer that question the uh, progressive nature of revelation the progressive nature of revelation for example in Matthew 11:11, the Lord Jesus says He's speaking to his disciples. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Now, as you know, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. We read about John the Baptist in the New Testament, right? In the Gospel. But it was still the Old Testament. It was still in the Old Testament times, before the cross, before the resurrection, before all that. So he was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. He died without the full revelation of the Gospel. Because he did not know about the crucifixion of Jesus and the, uh, the uh, uh, resurrection of Jesus. All he had was the promise. The promise of the Messiah. He saw Jesus. He baptized Jesus. But there were things that he did not understand about the gospel. He did not have that full salvation. So, But we on this side of the cross, we have that knowledge. We have that full revelation of the gospel. So we, the lesser one... On this side of the cross, he says, Jesus says, is greater than John the Baptist because we have all this knowledge. We have all this light. We have this revelation. We have this great privilege. And because we have this knowledge, the least <coughs> of the saints in the new covenant is greater than John the Baptist. So Adam and Eve, they had something really small because they received... The proto-evangelium at the beginning, the very first promise of the Messiah, compared to what we have now in terms of revelation of the gospel, they have very little, but they had enough information to be Christians and to be saved. And I'm going to mention three things that they knew from that promise. Number one. They knew from that promise that they could, could only be saved by grace. They could only be saved by grace. They understood that they had sinned against God. They understood that they had transgressed the commandment and that they had uh, broken the covenant of works. God had told them, on the day that you eat of the fruit, on that day you will die. But they, wouldn't, they didn't die that day. They saw an extension of the patience of God. They, and they understood then the promise of the Savior given to them. And in that promise, they saw the grace of God. Because they understood what? We deserve to die. We deserve to be dead. We, we knew the commandment. And we broke the commandment. And yet God is offering 
a promise of salvation. So they understood that it had to be by the grace of God. <clears throat> Number two, that since it was a promise that God was giving them, they also understood that it had to be by faith. God announced something as a promise. God did not give them something that they could see, that they could touch, that they could understand fully. It was a promise, and they have to believe in it by faith. It had to be by faith. And number three, they knew that their salvation was going to be accomplished by a Redeemer. Not by their, wor by their, their works, not by their efforts, but by a Savior, by a Redeemer, by the seed of the woman that was uh, announced to them. So they had, they had sola gratia, they had sola fide, they had solus Christus. They were almost reformed, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they had sola scriptura, not in writing, but they had, you know, the word of God that spoke to them. <laughs> so as the descendants of Adam and Eve, who believed, kept the promise in their hearts, the gospel or, you know, the promise was transmitted to their children. The gospel was spread. The gospel was diffused among men. And wherever that promise was forgotten and lost, then men did not have any hope of salvation whatsoever. <clears throat> then uh, we are going to go to paragraph 2 in the uh, chapter 20. In this paragraph, then, uh, the confession continues to refute the claims of deism or deism that, you know, that say that men can be saved according to the light of nature or that even Christ could be revealed to them by nature, not by name, but in essence. That's what the, uh, the, these people were saying in England and uh, in other places of the world. And they say, you know, as an answer to that, uh, in paragraph 2, this promise of Christ and salvation by him is revealed only by the word of God. See? It's not by nature. It's not by, you know, by your conscience or whatever. No. It's, it is revealed only by the word of God. Neither do the works of creation or providence with the light of nature make discovery of Christ or of grace by him, so much as in a general or obscure way, much less that men destitute of revelation of him by the promise or of the gospel should be enabled thereby to, to attain saving faith or repentance. In other words, you can only know about Christ, about Jesus, and the only way of salvation by the scriptures. By what God has revealed in the scriptures. Then, of course, nature, as I said before, reveals to us that there is a God. And we read about it in Romans chapter 1. It says there, verses 18 to 20. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven <coughs> against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it to them, for the invisible things of Him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So the Bible clearly tells us, everybody knows that there is a God. How? The light of nature, reason, understanding, and the works of creation. When we look around us and we see everything that God created, we have to acknowledge that there is a God, and we have no excuse if we say, if we deny that knowledge. But that revelation that we obtain from nature is not enough to save anyone. Therefore, a special revelation of the gospel is necessary. And without that revelation of the gospel, nobody can be saved. Amen. Nature tells us that there is a God, but it does not reveal his identity. It does not reveal Christ in any way. You cannot look at a tree or a sunset or uh, the space and obtain from that the knowledge that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. It is impossible. You need a special revelation from God. The light of nature may reveal to men that they are sinners, right? Because everybody has a conscience. And when you do something that is wrong, it doesn't matter where you are. Your conscience is going to tell you you did something that is wrong because you have the law of God written in your heart. And it may tell you that even that you need a savior, but it does not. It is not going to reveal to you the identity of that savior and what you need to do to be saved. So the only sword of the spirit is what the word of God. It's the only way that the Holy Spirit can bring you the uh, that conviction of the way of salvation is the word. Of God, the revelation of God. <coughs> In Titus chapter 3, we read, verse 5, that salvation is not by our works, but by regeneration. It says there, not by works of righteousness, which we, sh we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. For a person to be saved, he needs that transformation. That a regeneration from the Holy Spirit. And how does that happen? Well, First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, there says, Being born again, right, regenerated, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Amen. It is by the word of God. We need the word of God. We need the Bible. We need that revelation of the only way of salvation. It, it is necessary. That's the reason why the word of God has to be announced to every man. Has to be preached to everybody. In every corner of the world. Everybody needs to uh, listen to the word. To the preaching of the word. And in Romans chapter 10 verse 13. Verses 13 to 14. The apostle Paul says, tells Tells us there's something that you know is very logical. Whoever shall call on the name on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? Right? 
They have to listen. They have to, somebody has to go and preach the gospel and tell them, listen, you are a sinner. You have broken God's commandments. And, and God is a, is, a, is a holy God. He's a holy God. He does not play with sin. He does not accept any form of sin. If you want to be saved, you need perfect holiness. And the only way that you can obtain perfect holiness is through Jesus Christ. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to acknowledge that you are a sinner. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, God, that's the only way that you can be justified. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has to be put in your account. Amen. <clears throat> so, then that's... Um, That's how, how they start this uh, chapter of the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. It was actually a refutation to that doctrine of deism, that uh, theology, or not theology, that philosophy that um, came up in the 17th century where people were saying, no, people can be saved without revelation. People can be saved uh, without the Bible, without special revelation from God. They have everything they, they need in their mind, in their intellect, in their reason, and they can, uh, nature can reveal Jesus to them. No, it's all uh, false. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need salvation. The fact that people were saved before Jesus Christ doesn't mean that People can be saved without Jesus Christ. Why? Because they have the promise of Jesus Christ. And that promise, in that promise, they had the substance of the gospel. And that substance of the gospel was effectual for their salvation. Amen? Yes. Amen. Any questions or comments? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the uh, full revelation of the gospel and that we... Uh, have the Bible and we have uh, the Word of God that we can read it, that we can listen to it, preach to us. And we thank you for this immense, this great privilege and for the fact that you provided a way for us to be saved. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.